what if there were beings made of pure light? And what if they came to Earth while we were still in the stage of Cro-Magnon? We were cavemen, basically. Mm -hmm. How would that interaction go forward? And how would that go on? How would the situation evolve? And that was my first series was Ancient Illumination. There's now three books, two graphic novels in that series. And I love fantasy. Uh, so I, I want to dabble in that. So I started the Yambande Chronicles, which is my ultimate dimension, Ancient Illumination. But it's fantasy. So if you wanted the Orisha to be the gods that ruled over this pantheon, because I feel like in fantasy, we always get the same iteration of gods that rule. Um, and I was kind of tired of that. So right. I was like, nah, let me do the Orisha and maybe a couple gods that I create of my own that rule over Yambani. Yambani means home in Swahili. And so I made the Yambani Chronicles. So that's kind of how I got started. Uh, I'm running a Kickstarter currently for the Yambani okay. Chronicles. And years and years of people saying yo that sounds really cool but i'm gonna be honest with you i'm not about to read 300 350 pages you just covered a lot of stuff right there you, you talked yeah. about your kickstarters you talked about your two main projects the Mani chronicles as well as the ancient illumination project that, that you had going on um but let, let's let's rewind it a little bit Welcome to Issues on Issues, a weekly podcast series brought to you by the team at Brilliance, where we share our take on all aspects related to the graphic novel industry. We discuss and debate current events within the comic community and allegorical themes illustrated in various creative works. This week, we meet with Rod Van Blake, an independent comic book creator. We also deep dive into The Boys by Garth Ennis. But first, we recap season one of Andor. Please be advised that our conversations may contain spoilers of the works discussed. Stick with us for more right after this quick commercial break. Comic book creators, revolutionize your platform, supercharge your value, engage your fans like never before. Welcome to Brilliance. Current e-publishing models limit your access to readers, impose pricing restrictions, and offer tiny royalties. Brilliance is a new e-publishing platform. At Brilliance, crowdfund concepts, connect with your readers, set your prices, and enjoy royalties that endure. Let's establish this new paradigm together. Learn more at Brilliance.io. That's Brilliance.io. Sign up today to publish for free. All right, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, how's your week? What you guys been up to? Eating leftovers, man. <laughs> you still got leftovers? What did you have? You know, normal stuff. Oh, okay. Turkey What's normal stuff? stuff you know? like, like turkey, yeah. cranberry sauce, all that kind of stuff? All that stuff. Yeah, what about you, Chris? Yo, can, I, can I tell you guys something, man? I, I don't like turkey, man. I, I don't mean, like maybe, maybe not regularly, but but definitely for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Nah, 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 that's the worst, right? Because it's like, man, if they don't cook it correctly, whoever cooks it, and the breast is dry, and sometimes that, that dark meat can be too gamey, man. I don't know. Well, I mean, you said it right there. If they cook it wrong, but if they cook it right, it's all right. And put some cranberry sauce on it. Everything else you got, the, the sweet, sweet potato and everything else together. It tastes good. I, I've never been a fan. I've always liked the ham, maybe the mac and cheese, but I just never been a fan of stuffing cranberry turkey. It's never been my thing. Although the turkey's and turkey makes you sleepy, but it is it is a, it's good protein, man. All right, all right. Here, here it goes. Here, here goes the question, because <laughs> because you know I you know Britt and I we, we grew up together. So uh, how, how do you how do you eat your collard greens? 
What do you mean? How do I eat them? Like with a hand or fork or something? No, no. Do, do you just eat the calgarine straight up? You do anything special to them? Yeah, I eat them straight up. What do you mean special? Special how? Like put hot sauce on them? I saw them special hot sauce on them. You, you put hot sauce on them? Yeah, I like hot sauce on my. I like yeah. my shit spicy, man. Okay, okay. You, wait, I know, wait. know Britt has a special way. Britt has a special way. Britt, what do you got? What do you do with your collard greens? You just put a little vinegar on there. Oh, that's. I think that makes sense. I, I, I never tried it, but the flavor profile makes sense to me. Yeah, why not? Make them pop a little bit. Yeah, that yeah Brit, that's Britt's thing. Yeah. But no, I'll say I respect hot sauce. I'll say that. Yeah, well, you know what it is. Hot sauce is vinegar based anyway. You probably, you know, they're probably within the same family, to be honest. Like, probably. So, you know. All right, all right. Second, second question: Is it um, what's what's your pie? What's your dessert? No, oh, you guys, you're not gonna like this, man. But I, I like peach cobbler. Like my mom makes peach cobbler for almost any family event, and so it's peach cobbler for me. I know that's not a traditional Thanksgiving pie, but that's what I do, man. Brit, you still um, sweet potato? Yeah, man. Every yeah. year. Yeah. Mine, mine is uh, apple. I got to go with the apple pie. Do you guys, I mean, <laughs> do you guys eat pumpkin pie? <laughs> Yo, man, I mean, you know, I, I grew up in South Jersey, man. I, I eat some pumpkin pie. Oh, that's South Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Britt, Brit, you got any comments about that? I mean, uh, you, know, I, you know what? I will say I did fall into the pumpkin spice. Did you? Oh, oh for certain things, like, you know, I like pumpkin spice, like, like waffles and like pumpkin spice donuts and that sort of thing. So I'm a fan of that, but I I just I haven't gone full pumpkin pie yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm with you with the the, the pumpkin spice stuff, but but pumpkin pie, nah. nah. Well, wait. So like, I mean, the pumpkin pie it, it can be. I mean, pumpkin stuff can be good. Mm-hmm. Like you don't you don't think so? You don't like pumpkin? What what is it about pumpkin pie you don't like? Uh, I just it just wasn't. I wasn't raised on pumpkin pie. It's, it seems to me. Um, it, it's it, it's like a lesser form of sweet potato pie in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, anything else going on in the news for you guys? What's going on in the news? Anything exciting you guys want to talk about? I mean, I saw. I mean, it's got nothing to do with it, but I saw Kanye get hit with child support. You saw that? You know, that link we saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Anything related to, uh, you know, um, anything sci-fi, graphic novel, anything like that related? That's what I was going with. Oh, oh my bad. That's all oh, good. Oh, okay. I mean, he is out there, but I got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a slow week. I feel like Disney, Bob Iger, took up a lot of the wind last week. Well, anyway. Just finished up watching Andor. I've been excited. We kind of hinted at it a little bit here or there throughout um, the series, but now now it's concluded. And um, man, I think they hit it out the park. What did you guys think? Yeah, it was good. It's good. Ah, uh, yeah, no, it was it was a great prequel, you know. And I feel like this is one of the few times that Star Wars does something like kind of out of sequence, but it doesn't necessarily retcon anything, and it doesn't like necessarily hinder or you know lessen the stakes of the timeline that comes behind it yeah what what is the timeline between this movie and rogue one i mean this series in rogue one what do you mean what is it like how far before rogue one does andor take place season one take place i think it's supposed to happen like somewhere like five to ten years before the events of rogue one okay yeah it can't be too much 
too much of a difference. Yeah, it seemed it seemed like about that that amount of time, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, the actor was Diego Luna, Cassian Andor. I think he did a great job, and you know, Luthen played by Skarsgård, he killed it. You know, so I definitely think there was some quality acting there, and I'm excited to see. You know, they're already talking about season two, so I'm excited about that. I don't know how do you, how do you guys feel like I mean you guys remember Rogue One so you you know how it ends you cool with that like the end of Rogue One is one of maybe the greatest sequences in Star Wars kind of uh, lore you know what I mean it like, is tough it is tough man I don't remember what happens at the end of Rogue One well you know spoiler after... <laughs> if you haven't seen Rogue well, yeah, One by now <laughs> it's been out for a while. <laughs> Yeah, good job. I was about to really just spoil it right there. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen Andor, stop right now. Go, you know, fire up Disney Plus and just you know go on the journey. It's worth it. It's worth it. You guys gotta, you guys gotta check out Rogue One for sure, for sure. And and Andor, but um, at the end of uh, Rogue One, you know they send up the signal, yeah, and uh, and then you know the planet is destroyed. Okay. And you know, so so everyone dies. But then not only that, though, once they get the signal, it goes to you know, the ship, and they're trying to uh, relay the the information to Leia's uh, ship. But then you know, Darth Vader comes in, and he basically makes it really difficult. Like, uh, like basically everyone died aboard the ship to try to get that information to Leia's ship. But basically, basically everyone dies. Everyone dies. Long story short, who who did you like in Andor? Name I like Cassian was great. Dead. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, he he it was a really great uh look into this guy because he didn't want to be a leader. He didn't want to be involved at all. Like the whole time, he's like, I just want to get my money and go. And every time he's asked to step up and be a leader, he like knocks it out of the park. You know what I'm saying? Like. And the, the way they did the show, so the first three episodes are like a block, and those were the first three that they released. And that basically just kind of tells the arc of him getting in to involved into this, you know, fledgling rebellion. Uh, the next three episodes go into, like, their, like, their first operation and what goes into that and how crazy that is. And then the next couple episodes after that are him being, you know, caught in prison and, you know, how he how basically he has to rise up and escape. And the last two episodes are just basically him, you know, uh, getting, you know, basically getting back to realizing that his life can never be the same again. And he has to basically either end it right there or continue going forward with this rebellion. And I think, you know, they it, it really was great the way they did that story. That was a dope scene at that, that, the end where he was just like, yo, when he was talking to Luthen. And and Cassian is basically like, yo, you trying to kill me? Kill me, because I mean, like, either kill me or or bring me, because I want to be down with the team. So you know, I'm I'm ready to die for the team. But if you're trying to kill me, just get it over with. Y- y'all saw that as like he decided that he had purpose, or did you see it as like, hey, like I need to just like f- meet this guy so he stops hunting me. I gotta like you know align with my like with my I th- biggest. I think he was he was there to meet his fate one way or the other. Like he's like, either I'm going to die or, you know, or something's going to happen. Like, but this is where it all ends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think he was down for the cause, you know, like with his mom and everything, like he, this is what he was trying to do. And this guy is getting in his, you know, why are you trying to kill me? I'm on your team. 
agree, man. I don't think he was trying to do that. I think every time he was in a situation, it was just about him. Like 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 Britt said, like he was just, he, what, what do I need to do to get from point A to point B? It just so happened that he was leading a rebellion at the same, like he was setting an example for rebellion. Like when he, what's the name of that that that, that place they robbed? The the Imperial way station they robbed? What was yeah, it called? I, I forget what that is. Hold on, I'm about to look it up. Like he he straight went in there just for the cash, the payday. That was it. Like and but you know comes out like a superhero, like but more a, a war hero. But he's yeah. But I mean that's part of the character arc, right? That's so yeah, that's that's where he was. He got sent to do that. He had to do it. Aldani. He it. Yeah. It Aldani. was it was the heist on Aldani. Yeah. But then he had some some type of moral compass because the guy tried to cut him in to the deal and he, he ends up killing him. And telling the woman, like, hey, look, I did my part. I'm out. Here's your money. Here's your ship. You know, I thought I just alone. thought he killed. I think he killed him because he knew that guy was gonna kill him. I come on, like that guy wasn't gonna know because he was like, Oh, like it's gonna be enough money. If I if we kill everybody else, we'll split it. And like we've all seen what which which Batman is that? Where all the jokers in the in the opening scene kill each other? <laughs> the Dark Knight, yeah. Yeah, Dark Knight. We've all seen that before. Like, yeah, yeah. Really only one person though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's 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 possible. He's definitely killed people um, throughout that as that character, you know, that that would possibly jeopardize his situation. Right. I mean, the first episode, you know. Yeah. He he starts out with that. Like, you know, he when he kills those two Imperial, you know, guards and basically sets everything off. You got to You got to finish the work. And so I don't know what you what you guys think. If it was you, like, what what would you have done? I learned that. I learned that in heat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all remember that's the beginning scene in Heat? We just, yeah, just got to take him out. You would have pulled the trigger then? You get it? You would have been the same thing that, you would have done the same thing Cassian did? Got to do what you got to do sometimes. Hey, you know? Brett, what, what would you have done, man? Uh, in which, which, which situation? And where he was self, in self-defense, he killed that first, um, what is it, Preorg? What are they called? The, those, um, he was like an Imperial cop. Yeah, the cop. And then... The second one was sitting there like, yo, like, I didn't see anything. Like, you just let me go. And he was but he like, was trying to bring him in. He was like, oh, we'll just go tell the judge together, this and that. Yeah, nah, man, nah. That's not, not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, first of all, they were, like, messing with him. Like, he wasn't, like, like trying to mess with them at all. You know what I mean? He was just trying to get in and get information about this girl or whoever. And uh, they just were, like, you know, interested in him and following around. Like, at that point, like, you know, hey, look, if you're in my, like, I, I, They'd have to go, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. You know the the one character that I think is a sleeper character that I'm curious to to see more about was um I don't know if you guys remember this character Cinta Cinta. You guys remember her? Uh, yeah, but who who was Cinta? Just say. So Cinta was one of like the you know early rebel, and she was teaming up with um. Was yeah, it, she was with, uh, Val. Var- yeah, Varada uh, Sithu. I don't know if I said her name right. Yeah, but yeah, no, she she's of like East Indian heritage. I want to say, mm-hmm. and yeah, but she was like, they said she was the most cold hearted killer. She she didn't talk, you know. And basically, when it came down to it, when they had to to blow the bridge or or make the last call during the operation, she was the one that inspired. Uh, who was it? Their leader Val Val yeah. to go ahead and yeah. you know finally make the call. But did they have a relationship? Yeah. Were they in a relationship? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. But I mean, I think I'm curious. Like, I wanted to see more of her. I wanted to see what what she's about, where she's going. And you know, she kind of was here and there. 
but I would, you know, if they do like a little animated spinoff or something like that, I would, I'd be curious to see more of that character. And she seemed cold and complex. It might be cool to yeah, see. Yeah, she, she definitely gives bounty hunter energy. Yeah. Like, it, like, I, like, I feel like if she popped up in Boba Fett, even though I know that timeline wise, it doesn't line up. But like, you know, if she popped up in like, you know, down the line as like a bounty hunter, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that'd be dope. Um, and you guys have any favorite scenes that you recall? Uh, a couple of favorite scenes. One when they were uh, when they were f- uh making the heist and they had to get off of the off the planet Aldani and there was and there was like the the celestial event that was happening. Mm-hmm. Like first of all, just the, I feel like whatever event the, the that eye. happens, like yeah, when the eye opens. I want to be there. Like if if there's ever a planet that happens, <laughs> I want to, I want to be there for that event. But I thought it was really cool the fact that they had the climb when he kept t- he told them to climb right at the right time so that they could get out of and escape. Yeah, that was really you know that was a really uh, I was like this I was you know I was very I was clenched. <laughs> I, was worried, <laughs> I was worried about what was happening. Well, it was not just that right. Like they had it. Like was it one of the computers droids that that were doing the calculation for them? Or some because he had to like drop down too, right? It was like you either went up and then they had to know when to drop back down or something. To, it wasn't the droid, yeah. it was that guy, right? It was the guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, was the, the guy, guy, yeah. Yeah, he who was injured. He had uh, the spinal injury. Karis, yeah. 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 What was like was his it? last that was his last hurrah. I wonder what was the name? Alex Lothar. I wonder what else he's done. I don't really remember him for anything, but he was pretty good. What yeah. was your favorite scene? My my favorite scene was um that scene when when Luthen was um when the the tractor beam I, I thought oh, that was cool yeah with the whole craft with yeah the, with the countermeasures yeah, yeah. it's like oh, oh. Snap. <laughs> Took, he yeah, was so yeah. smooth he was so he was so cool with it he was not stressed at all yeah that was dope yeah his 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 uh ship had a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, and the lightsaber is like the dual, right the dual lightsaber joint. I was like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Like I, like I've never seen like a someone use a spaceship with a lightsaber. On. That was <laughs> Luthen had some tech. Yeah, that was cool. But he was a collector, man. He had that he had that weapons like that ancient weapons like gallery that he was that he's got. He was obviously had access to stuff. Yeah, I think they should do like a little special or, or like have a site where they they go through all of the different pieces in his uh, his shop because I always see these little articles that that point out the different items that are in the in the shop. Because they they put all a bunch of different like artifacts in there. Like they had um what did they have? They had like a bunch of random stuff, like uh certain people's like helmet and crowns and things like that that come from different episodes and different parts. This is why I miss DVDs. Because that kind of content would have been in a DVD. Right? They would have had some explanation. I mean, most likely. But now with streaming, they don't they don't even add that extra content like that all the time. They could. They could, but they 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 haven't been. Yeah. No. Yeah. What did you guys think about Forrest Whitaker? Was that Forrest Whitaker? Yeah, I saw. Or was that his mm-hmm. brother? What are you talking about? What do you mean? What am I talking about? There's two of them. Are they both Forrest actors? Forrest? Yeah, dude, you don't know this? There's two of them. There's it's Forrest, Forrest Whitaker, Whitaker, first of all. Second of all, look at his brother and then go go on your computer. Look at Forrest Whitaker and look at his brother and tell me if you really know who who's who. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's brother. What's his brother's name? I don't know. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, but like, 
There are toilets. In the credits, it's Forrest Whitaker. Oh, is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, and you know, he played the role in in uh, Rogue One anyway. So I'm sure they would just bring him back for to play the role again. Um, I you know I think Saul Guerrero is an interesting character when he pops up. You know what I mean? Like. He always kind of gives you a baseline of where the rebellion is at, you know, like, <laughs> like it's like when the rebellion is struggling or when it's just right on its on 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 its heels, like that's kind of when Saw comes around, you know what I mean? But when the rebellion is good, like you know, it's <laughs> there's normally different leadership. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see, man, because, you know, I, I watched Rogue One recently. Like, I saw Rogue One, like, when it came out way back when, and but I forgot a lot about it. And then when I watched it again, seeing, like, everybody dying, just gives me a different perspective when I'm watching Andor. Uh, but anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Just I'm just thinking about his death scene and just, you know, it's crazy. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk. Let's, let's go into some other stuff. Let's talk about the um, prison break. What do you guys think about that? I I look, I thought what what's the word in writing where you have like something that just moves the plot forward? That's is it what is it called? Ex machina? Is that what it is called? Deuce ex machina, yeah. The, yeah, like you had this whole prison and the only security feature you have is an electrified floor. And it's in an, <laughs> it's in a middle of a body of water, but you guys have no insulation. It's just some water spills on it and the whole thing shorts out. I, 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 that bothered me. But really? I thought, was, I thought the scene was good. But I just felt like, come on, man! Like you guys are flying through space. You got light. You got light travel, and then you've got like this, this prison that's built to keep people in, and the only mechanism that you're using has like a significant flaw that could easily be exploited. Easily? <laughs> I don't know how easily it was exploited. But uh, I, I thought it was genius because, like, you know, a lot of the – one cool thing, and I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about this too. When he was breaking into the panel, at first you didn't know what he was breaking into the panel for. You were just knowing that he wanted to do it. And then finally when he did it and you realized that it was water, you're like, okay, I guess he wanted the water. But why would he want to put water into this into this situation? You know what I mean? Obviously – water and electricity don't really go together but then when you figure out that oh they're actually shorting out the floor like it doesn't have a fail safe like like it it became like an interesting kind of way to break out and they didn't give it to you all up front you know you had to kind of go through the experience and ride it with them and see if they could pull it off or not i thought that they the way they did it was really well executed i mean you know um yeah, I don't know. Compared to other shows, I feel like it, it was just as good as, or maybe, you know, I feel like it was above average in terms of, you know, the writing, how they did it. I, the, the guy, what's that guy's name? The the guy who was like the, who had 200 and 150 uh, shifts left, who was kind of like the floor manager right. for Kino. the unit. Andy Circus. Yeah, when he played Kino, yeah. Yeah, I, I liked his character a lot. Like I liked it. Like he went through a whole process, right? And when he realized, like, what we he thought was true wasn't, yeah. Like when he realized he wasn't getting out of there, and he he had to shift his perspective and take the lead. And that scene, you know, we're talking about scenes that you go like guys like the scene I liked is when he they they take over the prison, and Cassian tells him like, "Yo, man, it's got to be you. You've got to lead these people out of this prison." 
and he leads them out of the prison. Like he has to, you know, he gets on the mic and he gets them all hyped up and he's like, yo, we got to get out of this prison and we got to like get free. And he can't even swim. Yeah. Which, which, which then when you think about it in hindsight, like how much was that playing through his head? Also, like one of the reasons why I didn't want to do it. It's like, well, what's the point, you know, right. for him? But that, if that's the case and that was playing in the back of his head, that makes that scene even sweeter. Right. Cause mm-hmm. like, he's like, all right, like if not for me, then for these other guys, like let's do this. Because, you know, he could hold on to hope and hope that he gets transferred. Or even if he gets transferred, he can have a transfer break. But, you know, if he knows he had no chance jumping off of that that uh, that that floating prison into that body of water, like it wasn't even it wasn't even an option for him. Another fascinating part in that scene was was Cassian, right? Like it just shows how he, he's basically like a CIA agent before before he comes into that role officially. Like to to be able to, you know, he was really the leader. You know, he's the one that came up with this master scheme, put the pieces together, but yet he put this other guy forward to be the leader. You know, just like the typical CIA come into a an area and they they prop somebody else to to do the bidding for them. You know, it was genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that was that was a good scene, and I didn't I didn't. I didn't understand what happened next. Like, so they they found some some locals, let them fight. Why did those guys let them? Why did they capture them? Then let them go free. I don't like they. So they swim. Cassie and then the other guy swim to the shore, and then eventually they run into some people who are like locals on the planet, and then they they capture them, but then let them go free and take the quad jumper. Like, why why did that happen? Because screw the empire. Oh, okay. Yeah. So take my car. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. So what was the deal with Bix? Um, it, like Bix, he was just friends with Bix. You know, there wasn't something because I'm I'm thinking back to when um, Marva rescued Cassian. You know, and he, he, I guess the older girl was his sister. You know, um, but it seemed like Bix knew Cassian from from for a long time. But I guess he just met, you know, later on in life, or they just grew up together on this. On Ferrix or something, and that was like his girl for a while, right? I want to say, yeah, they they were together. It, it seemed like they had a past, but she made it very clear, like that was over. You mm-hmm. know, she was with this new guy. Yeah, uh, I guess Brasso is his name, and he got, decided to rat everybody out. Um, he did all that because he was afraid they were still having a thing, though, right? Like, wasn't that like his motivation? Like, he just was jealous, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, man, hold around. It was it was definitely a dope series. Uh, looking forward to season two. Never been anything like this. Hello and welcome to the Highly Minded Podcast. We always say that. Low minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, and high minds talk about ideas. We talk about it all. Yeah. You already know. (laughs) Available now on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your other favorite podcast platforms. All right, fellas, let's get into it. We're going to be talking about um, the themed issue today, which is the boys and we're going to be discussing volume one so this was distributed by dynamite 
the writers Garth Ennis, um, with artists Derek Robertson and Peter uh, Snageberg. Uh, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but I did try. Um, colorist was Tony Avigna, and letters by Greg Thompson and Simon Boland. Um, so just in general, just to give a quick overview of how I interpreted this this volume was I kind of saw it in like three different acts, three parts. The The first part was kind of the introduction of the characters and um, one of the, the main characters being uh, Huey, was it? Is that, that's the name, right, Huey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Huey. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, Huey, you come across Huey and his journey with encounter with the soups um, where he, he loses his girlfriend and he gets recruited um, um, to join the boys and um, their, their, their journey in trying to combat these soups. And then the, the second act would be the, the adventures of uh, Tech Knight um, and um, kind of like a little bit of a detective um, mystery that they're, they're solving, which was pretty cool, um, trying to figure out how um, somebody died and uh, if it was a soup to blame. And then the third act was the boys going out to Russia and um, trying to combat the Russian mob and, and um, how they, these evil uh, soups are trying to take over um, Russia's government. That's just a general overview of the, the three different acts. And, and throughout, you see all the misadventures of all the different characters and, and um, bringing up topical issues such as, you know, what I think was one of the themes was a uh, critique on our aristocracy. You know, there's definitely some, some significant violence, a lot of um, uh, sexual violence and um, just some uh, other themes around, around that. Um, but that that's kind of my my general overview. Um, so, what do you guys think? I think I might have read something different. <laughs> <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> I, I read the boys, the name of the game, volume one. Right? Is that the volume one, the name of the game? Uh, the, name, the name of the game. What what happened in your book, Brett? It was it kind of followed the TV show kind of a little bit, where we meet Huey. Uh, he has his encounter with A-Train where, you know, his girlfriend uh, is like run over by him and he's still holding her arms at the end. And, you know, they kind of follows how he gets recruited by uh, the butcher and, you know, it puts the team together with mother's milk and, you know, the Frenchman and, and the and the girl. La and it kind of just kind of follows the TV show a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The, the name of the game is like is act one. You know, so so I I got the omnibus volume one omnibus. So what I'm talking about is is the name of the game, Cherry Get Some, and Gloria's Five Year Plan. So that that's okay, the yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I mean, you probably read the same thing. Joffrey just has covered a little bit more ground, right? So like, what happens yeah, yeah, after yeah, the yeah. recruit? Like, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I I just read I just read the first volume. Yeah, I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And in that first volume, is that where they go after Teen Kicks? Is that is that what? Is that where they first established, like, hey, we're back and letting everybody, all the soups know and Vault International know that they're back? That's that's the first that's the first part, right, Joffrey? Yeah, yeah, that that's like, yeah, when yeah. they when okay. they they get teenage kicks, like they yeah. kind of give them their little jolt. Okay, so like maybe like for the listeners, let's let them know like just like what this world is about, right? It's basically like a world where there's people and there's superheroes, and those superheroes are a product of a corporation, and they are glorified as 
different teams and different units that, you know, go on missions to fight crime or whatever they do. But they're like, seriously, like, screwed up individuals. Um, and each one of them <laughs> is just as human as the people that they try to rescue. And they have addictions. They have proclivities. They have, you know, they have orgies. They commit crimes. They they are, um, they're, they're just as despicable as the criminals that they try to to deal with. And when you look at the boys, which is this group, Butcher, Mother's Milk, Huey, and what is it? Is it? Is it the femme, the female? What do they call her? The girl. The girl. Female. I think they call the her female? the female. Okay, yeah. Um, they're just they're just another ragtag group of soups that are not identifying themselves as soups and are also like very, I would say, aggressive in their tactics. So they're they're out there to kind of set the, the, the stage correct and get rid of soups. They don't like them. They they're trying to fight on behalf of the non-superpowered people in the world, but they use superpowers to do so. And the book just kind of unfolds from there. It's just like a, it's just a comedy of errors. And it's just at one mission after another, it's just a lot of carnage and collateral damage. And as a reader, you just really don't know who, who to root for. They're both all sad characters, but also kind of like distasteful. Oh, they're all horrible. Horrible. Mm. Every one of them. And like, except for we Huey. Huey's weak, man. <laughs> Huey is weak. Sometimes I just want to reach through the book and just strangle him. Like, yo, just make a decision, man, and just get it done. Like, I don't know. You don't. You don't get tired of him sniveling. Well, you're very far in, though. You're very far in. So, it don't take long to feel that way about him. You feel. Do you feel differently? <laughs> it doesn't feel that. It doesn't take very long at all. You realize that he's the least resolute person of the team. And he, you just want to like, like snap his, snap him at him, like, yo, just get with it, man. Like, just pick a side and get moving. Like, you know, come on. Nah, you know, I, got more sympathy, I got more sympathy for him then. Do you? Why? Yeah. I, I don't know. He just, he seems the most normal, I guess. You know, the, the, these, these other guys are clearly like on the sociopath spectrum, right? And Huey's probably the most normal. I think, I think M. M is pretty normal to me, you know? I mean, he might have some issues, but he seems also seems like a pretty normal guy who, you know, due to life experiences a little bit, he has certain skill sets, but, you know, and he's using those skill sets for something he believes in, but he seems pretty normal. But everybody else seems pretty... Uh, Huey's superpower up. is self-pity, man. That's what he does. He just <laughs> wallows in self-pity all throughout the story. Like, oh, what was me? Like, yo, like, okay, man. Like, suck it up. We gotta keep well, going. his girlfriend just died. He is that's very traumatic. He was holding her arms, man. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say it's not. But that should have that should have galvanized his position against soups. But it didn't. He's still sitting around scratching his head, trying to figure out which way is up. But that's all he had. His whole world gets ripped apart, ripped, ripped away from him. He doesn't even gotta have like even the gumption to to to, to pivot towards vengeance, which is like. Isn't that one of the stages of grief? I mean, he's, he should have at least gotten there. Yeah, I mean, I'd say he did by joining the boys. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so they go after the B team, right? The teenage kicks, right? This this group of like misfits who are like just having like this crazy uh, orgy in, inside of a building and they, they set them up, right? They, they, they get all this dirt. They surveil, they surveil them. They set them up. And then the idea is to kind of send this message like, hey, like, you know, 
you're being policed. Like we're watching you. And like, you know, that image that you have, that public image you have isn't pristine and we could, we could ruin you if we want to, right? That's kind of what the boys do. They, they surveil them. They send them a tape of like these hijinks that they, they, the teenage kicks are doing, which is like the super powered kind of B team or like, I don't know, what, what is it that, what's it called in baseball? The, the, when you're not the minor, minor leagues, the minor league team. Yeah. And it sends a message, but then like this whole thing just goes horribly wrong. It was interesting like that uh, you thought about the Young Avengers. They're like a mock of the Young Avengers. Well, I'm just saying, just if 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 you're thinking about like a a, a B team, a minor league team, something something along those lines, something like the Teen Titans, something like mm-hmm. that, for the comic book listeners out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, nah, but go ahead. I I mean. Uh, I think, and I, I don't know about you guys, I think we're all three of us, like, my first experience with, like, any of this content was the TV show. And uh, it's very sensationalized, uh, the Amazon Prime show that came out. And I was like, I was like, I don't think I can be shocked more than what I've seen on TV. And this, I'm not, I I, I was shocked. Like, you know, like, I was like, oh, I guess this is what they were going for. So, I, you know, kudos to the show for really capturing the vibe. Uh, I really dug it. I think, I think for one, the art style is kind of, um, almost, I don't know. It kind of makes people look a little more, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's not traditionally like beautiful people. Like they kind of rough it up, you know? We love superheroes. We we do a podcast about comic books. You know, I'm sure if we lived in a world full of superheroes, like there would be people out there really looking up to them. Um, I think this did a really great job of kind of humanizing them and, and, and making it grittier and making it more real. Like, what would people do if they just randomly were able to acquire superhuman strength or speed or you know any any number of powers? this is exactly how it would be if superheroes actually existed rather than some of these other universes where, you know, superheroes move around without consequence and just do anything without repercussions. Yeah. It's a sad, that's a sad commentary, but you're probably, you know, it's the truth, right? You know, if this, if it was, if soups were real, they'd probably be more like the boys than the justice league. Right. <laughs> For <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> it, you know, like from the human perspective, like what it must be like, to live in a city like that, right? Like what it must be like to live in a city where there are people who have more power than you that can can, can be a threat to your day-to-day living. You know, and, and and just like that that's something that, you know, I think that sometimes we see in other comic books as well, like the idea of like, well, like if you live in Gotham, like good luck. Um and and here in this <laughs> the same, right? Like he he was just out like chilling with this girl and she gets smashed into a wall. And they're like, they're just like, oops, man, like, you know, my bad. I was chasing somebody, you know, super superhero stuff. And then there's like a cleanup crew who's like, hey, man, here's a check. You know, I don't know what to tell you. So well, actually, they, they said they couldn't offer him the check because it wasn't family, uh, right? They weren't married. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they, they wasn't like next of kin. Like, like, that's like, <laughs> like, 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 there's I no recourse. Like, 
You know, like, there's no recourse. Like, oh yeah, yo, we smashed it. You smashed, smashed your girlfriend into a wall. You know, oh, but you weren't married, so I guess that's just that's just how that's going to have to be. And you're like, <laughs> you know, like who who wants to live in a world like that? And then so, um, so just when it just kind of shines a light on, like, hey, like superheroes sound cool in theory, but in reality, like it's a menace. And this explains why, like, does it? There's that anti-mutant, you know, movement within like the the, the X-Men uh, universe, and then like you know, we, we, you just you think about it from like a broader perspective of like what it must be like to not be superpowered, and then you know, what Lex Luthor must be thinking about. You know, it's like got to gain the upper hand, or you're like you know, it's an existential threat. I don't know, man. I feel like you know one of the things that it does do is it just it's an extreme example of of what you know, people do experience, you know, you can make that argument, you know, and it's an extreme example of, you know, the, you know, aristocracy or, you know, people with extreme power, you know, governing people that are the powerless, you know, um, you know, you can think about it in certain cities here in the States on a so small, oh, state, you know, small scale, but, but, but not, not as extreme, but then also, you know, you think about like, you know, like the Taliban or, or North Korea, you know, there's certain things that, you know, dictators and things happen in other countries where it's just, there's no repercussions. People just go about doing what they're doing. And if, if they're part of the elite, they get away scot-free, you know? Um, so yeah, but I think that, there's some commentary there. But now you have like a chemical that's creating like superheroes, right? You have a corporation that's trying to put them in militaries and like it's growing. It's not like a, you know, I don't know, man. I kind of feel like, I feel like if you so that, but that, back, but to me, go ahead. You finish it. Sorry. No, I was just saying, if you're sitting back and even in the scenarios that you gave, right, where you're in like a regime that is starting to like make all these kind of like, um, like these decisions that are that result in like atrocities or genocides. Like at the end of the day, like you still have an existential threat. Like if you're now if you're on the outside, like you your lifestyle, your way of living is threatened, then you have to kind of go ahead and and do something. I w- would you think that's different? Like if if you lived right now in your neighborhood and like every neighborhood of yours was a soup flying around to work and you'd get in your car, and then they like you know they landed in front of your driveway and they're like there's a hole there and they're like oh my bad I landed too hard like. And then now you gotta get you gotta deal with getting it cleaned up. Like, how long are you gonna tolerate that? I mean, you have no choice if they're souped, right? I mean, I don't, I don't see a. I think there's a clear parallel to that, and you know, you know, I, I never lived in Afghanistan or someplace like that, but you know, thinking about, you know, say, you know, a, a family of of women. You know, maybe maybe the, the husband died and is like a mom taking care of two daughters, you know, and, you know, they can't go to school. And then, you know, you have the Taliban come and like say, you know, they're, they're coming through town and they, they just take over the house or they do something and they just leave. Right. You know, there's the women there aren't aren't treated equally. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that could happen and there's just no repercussion. Well, look, I know, I know, I'm not from there. I don't know. I can't really speak. But this is just me speculating on, on certain things like that. I mean, we but, can talk about that here. Like, I mean, just look at police rolling through the hood. Like at any given time, police can run through your neighborhood hundreds of miles per hour. They could shoot people. They could just grab them up, take them just on suspicion. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on just like that. And I feel like sometimes, you know, we 
see these superheroes like kind of as a, as an allegory to like you know crime fighting, right? I, I feel like it's very real that in our society, like police could be this very same thing, like these people that we are supposed to idolize and 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 always give reverence to and and you know always submit to when they ask us questions or whatever. But you know they could very easily not be good people and going around and, and just without repercussions like you know qualified immunity lets police do pretty much anything you know they're they're qualified to you know shoot people if they feel deemed necessary like there's real repercussions with that and i feel like you know just talking about superheroes and 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 what this could be like an allegory to i in my mind that's immediately where i go to yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, and and then you know, and but maybe even not as extreme. I mean, I agree with you, Britt, but like just just the fact that police are humans, right? Just like these soups are humans, right? So they're they're fl- everybody is a flawed individual, but now they've been given extra powers, and they're gonna fumble because as humans, we're flawed. That doesn't change the point that. All, right, all valid, but doesn't change the point that the people who suffer at the hands of these flawed individuals have a th- are threatened. Their, their way of life is threatened. Exactly. It's an existential threat to them, right? I mean, if 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 this continues, unchecked police, superheroes, whatever, um, regimes, if, if they continue to steamroll over people unchecked, then those people will cease to exist. And and they feel that. that, that that's where the fear comes from. And so I think that, like, Jeffrey, I hundred percent understand these are people, but they are they have power. What what is what is the line from Spider Man? With great power comes great responsibility, right? And I and I think that mm-hmm. that that carries. Um, and, and what we see in the boys illustrated over and over again is that no character with with power exercises any type of responsibility. Um, they <laughs> they definitely pursue their agendas. But Butcher and the boys, they they are just as bad. It just happen, we just happen to be on the camera behind them, watching from their perspective, but they're just as bad as the soups. They create carnage, murder. They're super powered. They have to be. They, they justify it, right? Oh, well, we carry guns because y'all carry guns. And so, but it's like, mm-hmm. but... But you're just as bad now, right? You you put the you put that chemical inside your body. Now you're super powered, and now you're smashing people's faces, punching holes through people's chests. Same difference. Which yeah, which is an interesting. Go ahead, Britt. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your point. I'll come in. It's kind of I'm kind of switching, but go ahead. No, okay. Well, let me yeah go. So I mean, for me, again, my first experiences with this content were on the TV show. And I'm not as far in either, like, the reading or on TV as you guys are. So I haven't seen up to the part where I, I know Butcher starts taking the compound V. Uh, but he hasn't done it up until the point I've seen it. And okay. um, I was very jarred to see how they went about showing that they are using the compound V here in this volume, the first, the first part. Because at first, like, you know... Butcher gives Huey this job to to first of all surveil this B team, the teenage kicks. And I thought it was a really great way to kind of groom someone to bring into the fold. You know, because clearly Huey has no idea what's going on when he gets involved with Butcher in the beginning. And, you know, this is like a really great, like, first, like, you know, entry-level job where he just kind of surveils them just doing all their proclivities. Like, you know, just anything sexual, anything that's just, you know, 
wrong, you know, using drugs, just anything illicit. Like, you know, he's just surveilling this team. Stealing pain medicine from the children's hospital. It's horrible. Yeah, you know, all this stuff, right? (laughs) And, and, you know, I was like, I was like, this is, this is, this would be like a great way to get someone who, who was on the brink of not liking supers to hate supers. And, you know, Butcher comes into the van while he was, you know, surveilling this this team in the surveillance van. And he quickly, like, injects him with the compound V. And I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> like, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. And I feel like to introduce that very early on in the arc, whereas, you know, opposed to the TV show where I, they haven't quite gotten there yet, I was like, this completely changes the game because now on on the TV show, like you're always worried, like, are they in danger? Can Homelander just somehow swoop in and just murder everybody really quickly? Cause they're not soup, they're not souped up. In this, the comic book, you're like, yo, these dudes are just badasses, man. They're just coming and just and just causing chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I mean, I should have went first because you you answered the question I was just about to ask. <laughs> I was just about to say, you know, like basically exactly what you just said, the difference between the way it's written in the book and then the 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 edits or the the changes that they made for the film, you know, with with holding out with them getting the, the compound V. And um that that's a big difference. And then also like the development of the character of uh, the female. Um, you know, I thought I thought we're pretty distinct differences between the the book and and the show and uh, you know I, I wanted to get you guys take on do you think it's it was better I, you know do you like why do you think they did that do you do you think you know that creative license that they took to to make that difference makes it better tv um does it does it help build the characters better yeah. or yeah. or does on the other side does it take away from the message that Garth Ennis was trying to deliver you know, because it really does make them different characters, right? Because you know, by taking the compound V from the jump, you know, it, it just emphasizes Chris's point as they're no better than the soups. They're they're soups basically, versus how they do in the show, where it's like these are humans, you know, regular normal people fighting, you know, these invincible people against all odds. You know, you kind of root for them, and then they later decide they need to take that step. And even when they do take the step, it's kind of, you know, it's not as significant as it is in the book. So I just wanted to get you guys take. And I kind of got Brit's take, you know, but yeah. I mean, look, I, I think a couple things, right? I think like when you're making something for TV, there's a different formula, right? Like what are, what's going to get people engaged? What are they going to watch? They want to watch like uh, Underdog when they want to see someone kind of prevail against what looks like impossible odds. Like I think if you superpower these characters, the jump, it becomes like uh, like one punch man. You got a storyline where the character is too strong or st- strong enough that it's hard to kind of like live into what's going on. Like his 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 uh, his challenges don't seem relatable. And I think that they wanted like the audience to come in and like for the TV version and really care about the boys and kind of position them a little differently. I think that though, like, does it take away from the message? No, I they do still they still do horrible things. Even though they're not super powered, <laughs> they're still torturing and murdering. They put a grenade in that dude in the first season, right? Um, what did yeah. they kill him? They spent like the whole first season trying to kill yeah. somebody, a character that doesn't even translucent. exist. Translucent. 
Yeah, translucent. Some character doesn't even oh, exist you're in the about, comic. You're talking about the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, in the show. Yeah, like, I, was, just, I, mean, I mean, like, First of all, I thought that was a badass character. He's invisible and invincible. Like, you can't see him and he's indestructible. Like, that's a hard character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight that. What he uses powerful <laughs> peeping Tom. He's in the bathroom checking you out, <laughs> seeing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, but like the, the reality. <laughs> 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 but the reality is like and, and that's the thing like Java you didn't ask this question but like they didn't even bring the same characters to the table like who who's translucent and like why, wh- where'd that character come from what happened to the Martian wait and so like they've got these different characters it seems like the TV show was like alright 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 like they read like the cover the back and the front cover like alright we got it we'll take it from here and then they just like nah. ran with nah, it. And I think they've I think they've <laughs> yeah I think, nah, they, I, I, got, I, I think they caught some of that essence of some of the characters but go ahead they definitely the, caught the essence on. of the characters I, I, okay well, here's the thing i don't know i haven't read as far as you guys I, you know i haven't read as far as you guys so maybe there's more yeah. like a character like study later on you don't butcher's I, I the same, realize butcher's the same m is the same huey's the same homelander's the same starlight's the same Starlight doesn't play nearly the Huey, same role. huey's a little different no. He's still Starlight. meek and kind of, but but this Huey's actually like he's he's like had a, gone to college and got a degree. Like the Huey in the book seems like he might be like fourth grade educated. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's the difference. Like you know, but I I feel like they nailed it. And honestly, I I I want to go back to something you were saying earlier, like how they're like. They're, everyone's super powered and they don't really have struggles. Like it's not like hard, like One Punch Man. I, I I feel like I would contend in this and maybe in One Punch Man, like his real struggle is just being normal, or how to like One Punch Man is just trying to make friends. Like he's kind of like he just like is trying to be like a normal person. Like any alien threat, anything, any large monster, he he can take out easily. And I feel like in this, just like the boys, like. Their yeah, but, their hardest their main struggle is just trying to be good people. Or <laughs> I, I don't disagree, but when you think about okay, you and me, we're making a TV show. Okay, all right, our protagonist mm-hmm. is are they going to be super powered, overpowered, or are they going to be kind of like on the weaker side and get stronger later? Like we've seen the hero story a million times play out successfully. Call to act, somebody who doesn't have the chops. Call to action, they go through a journey, they get stronger through their journey, they become more resolute. They level, they level up. They can take on the big bad guy at the end. It's like it's just a trope, and I think that that's what you mm-hmm. see when they bring these things to TV. I think one one punch man kind of like did it backwards. They were like, okay, super powered, trying to get back to normal. I think if you like one punch man, cool, but I I don't think it has legs, not for the main character. Um, and I think that you know for for the boys, it was the same approach. Like, okay, let's take it for TV. Let's take it slow. Let's let's make them like let's make it interesting. Let's put some suspense in it. Let's see if they can get themselves out of these difficult situations by working together. Show the common man that they can rise to take on a superhero. But in the book, it's like no. Like, let's be honest. Like, you, you ain't gonna make it unless you take an injection and then start swinging. <laughs> and so you know, it, it, and I think I think that it, they're different approaches. I, I I'll be honest. I like them both, but they are different approaches. In my in my opinion. I, I hate to say it, but I think the book. I think the book is better. Wow, <laughs> I like them both. I like them both, but I think the book is better.
Are you a comic book creator looking for a new or additional engagement platform for your community? Then come take a look at Brilliance. Brilliance is a blockchain-powered platform where authors can publish eBooks, crowdfund new creative ideas, and connect with their readers. With Brilliance, authors can set royalties that endure beyond the initial sale to include royalties on resale of the book. That's right. Unlike many other ebook providers, Brilliance allows users to resell their books on the marketplace, and with each sale, the original creator will receive their royalty payment directly to their account. Authors are free to price their works however they would like. Unlike other platforms, Brilliance does not pressure creators into pricing restrictions. By unlocking pricing, Brilliance allows for natural price discovery and a true relationship between the creator and their devoted readership. Additionally, by leveraging Brilliance's blockchain technology, authors can access all the readers who have owned their work or even works of a similar genre. This gives the authors an opportunity to build their own distribution lists, connect directly with their fan bases, and grow their unique community. There are many more benefits to this game-changing platform. Learn more and sign up by going to brilliance.io. That's brilliance.io. Let's establish a new paradigm. Okay, everybody, uh, we have a, a, a guest today. How about you just go ahead and tell um, the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Rod Van Blake. I am a published author uh, within the science fiction and fantasy genres. I'm also a Marine veteran, um, played college basketball for a little while. And um, during my time in the Marines, I read a bunch of novels as episode one was coming out because I was a big sci-fi and fantasy head. So I wanted to read the books and everybody says, the books are always better. So I went about researching some novels when uh, episode one for Star Wars was coming out. So I wanted to do a little reading because I've never read any of the books. And I foolishly thought that there was only nine novels for some reason, because I was thinking episodes one, two, and three, there was <laughs> rumors, you know, the old movies that came out in 77 through the eighties was four, five, and six. Right. And I heard that they were talking about, they're going to do up to, you know, seven, eight, nine. So I mm -hmm. foolishly, I thought, there were nine books. Those were all the episodes. And then I got a rude awakening when I went to the bookstore and found a myriad of like a whole wall of sci-fi novels. Yeah. And so I kind of started my reading journey with them there. And that kind of leaked into uh, from the stuff from George Lucas all the way into uh, R.A. Salvatore with the Forgotten Realm series and the Dark Elf trilogy. Uh, and then it, because of I was reading Star Wars books, that was like a lot of different writers all within that universe back in the day um, that were writing within the same universe. So I got exposed to a lot of different writers. And I got to the point where I was like, yo, I've read so much of this stuff. I'm wondering if I could write my own. Gotcha. And so that's kind of how the curiosity started. So I wrote a short story uh, about Star Wars. I had, you know, that play, uh, Darth Sidious had a secret apprentice that was below the Jedi Temple using force dreams to lure Padawans down and okay. was slowly killing him. This was a secret because, you know, 
the rule of two, there's only supposed to be one apprentice and one master. Right. So no one knew about this apprentice. But then I was like, you know what? As interesting and as fun as this is, I can never own this. This is someone else's mm. IP. Okay. So uh, that's how I got with Ancient Illumination was my first uh, publishing in 2016, a story I'd been working on since like 2004 and on. And I was like, I need my own IP, something that I can own, that I can put out to the world that I would have full control over. Because that was my main thing. Like, everybody's angry about how these storylines go. I put myself in a position where if something goes wrong with the storyline, I'm in a position to change it because it's mine. So, you know, you were reading a lot of Star Wars and and you wanted to write your own IP. Yeah. And so you first started writing. And so the first thing you did was you wrote a book, right? It, it, it wasn't, you didn't just jump into graphic novels. No, I, literary novels was how I started. Um, mm -hmm. I started with the idea. I wrote out an outline. I had my outline from A to Z. And then I went about taking section A and just extrapolating that entire story plot point out. And then just broke it down into smaller pieces and, and got it down until eventually I had enough for like 300 pages uh, for the first novel. And then realized looking at my overview outline that I had pieces left that I hadn't mm -hmm. done. It's gone. Like, oh, I got enough maybe for a sequel. Um, so, but I first started with that first novel. Um, I started with that first novel, finally got it done, published it. And then I was advertising in sci-fi and fantasy magazines like Locus, Analog. Um, and that was around 250 a month to advertising. Now, Locus was 300 a month, but they would not allow you to purchase one month. You had to purchase three months. Gotcha. So, right. yeah. I, I a quick question for you. When you, um, when you published that, that book, you know, did you publish it in print? Did you e-publish it? Can you talk a little bit about everything? About that? I Everything published it everywhere. in print, um, and I published it in uh, ebook versions. I was going through a small, basically, I think they call it a vanity press, which was a self-publishing company where mm. you could buy services a la carte with that first book. Um, I published that first book in print and in ebooks, and it went to both Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and you had the ability to purchase the books yourself. Through, through the vanity press i have the same thing now except for now i am my own publisher and i have my account with ingram spark directly which is if not the largest one of the largest distributors of printed books so even if you bought the book from amazon chances are ingram spark printed them interesting, um, interesting. yeah so, so, I so you about, didn't have a oh sorry go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. i didn't have a no one. i was gonna say you didn't have a relationship with a publisher at first you you did it you found this independent or this small kind of like a uh, small batch printer and you went that way and then you've gotten some traction at that point and then a larger publisher took over and started distributing more broadly how'd you get into barnes and nobles and um you can you can do that through ingram i okay. actually okay. i was All with right. uh this other company and the funny thing is uh they were getting more expensive as we went along which was strange to me because they initially had to build my um website so that was a good portion of what I had signed on for is they built my author website. So I figured the second book was going to be cheaper because you have this your portion of it right. was you already for that work. finished. Yeah. And I already had my wife is actually my, my webmaster. So we were actually the ones running my website. They didn't even have to, they just hosted it. 
we we put all the content up all the pages we managed so i was like oh we should be able to knock at least 500 off the price for this next publishing uh like i said 26 17 was my first comic con uh, and I was explaining about the advertising thing, basically just put this into it. The 250 per month, I wasn't seeing a rate of return on that. I wasn't getting 250 back a month, mm. even though I was spending that much in advertising. Mm. So when Comic-Con came, I was like, well, I don't know if this is viable, but at the time a table costed like 250, $300. So I bought that first table. We sold nearly, 80, I think I took like 80 books or 80 something books with me. We left with like 12 books. Nice. And nice. so I made almost $700 in the three days. I was like, hey, we got to thinking this might be the way to go because I can go. And the other thing about uh, advertising online and with uh, magazines is I couldn't correlate where my sales were coming from versus <laughs> me going to an event, knowing exactly how many books I took with me and knowing exactly how many books I came home with and then just counting the numbers of what we made and as long as everything matched up then we're all good um, and you also but I had an exact number to look at hmm? I said you also knew who was buying right you could yeah. tell like who your buyers were and yeah. you know who your target audience yeah yeah and on an offshoot that would happen uh was that we would I would also notice a bump in online sales because we had been handing out business cards and so mm. my Amazon numbers and Barnes and Noble's numbers would pop back up uh and uh the next year after the second book was was made that company that i was with went out of business so then i had to have my own they, and I, I should have known they were transferring everybody's distribution rights over to the individual author which was strange i was like so now we're responsible for uploading the books to and we're getting our own ingram accounts so and i was like well i'm just i'm my own publisher now um so i went about gathering a cadre of people I have artists for my book covers. I have an editor that I reach out to. I have a formatter. I'm also in the process of being learning to format myself. And so now it's just pretty much all in-house. I buy my ISBN numbers um, for each novel. I ship off the copyright to the Library of Congress um, myself each time, because that was another thing. The, the Vanity Press, the numbers were going up and I noticed things that they were charging me for. I'm like, why are you charging me $100 to copyright my book? It's like, oh, well, that's a charge. I'm like, so you're charging me double to fill out the TX paperwork for the Library of Congress when I know I can do that myself now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I pay the 50 bucks online. I upload, I don't even have to, when I first published the first book, before that, when I made my first copyright, I think it was 2007, where I actually had to print out all my pages and mail that to the Library of Congress, certified mail. And then I'd wait months later to get the certificate back. Now it's like I just go in, you upload it, you pay the 50 bucks, and then the same thing, you get the certificate back in the mail. Right, right. So that when I found out they were charging me more than what I was supposed to be charged, I was like, oh, you don't have to take that off. I got that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's been a learning process now. I guess I'm, I'm on the verge of publishing my fifth novel now, the second one in the Umbani Chronicles, as well as uh, I partnered with my uh, artist, Jordan Pinnell Jackson. He's doing the illustrated versions of the comics. I, you know, I really appreciate you walking through that process. I know we're going to have like a lot of younger people in their career listening to this podcast and just kind of getting a, a, a glance at how that process worked and how you evolved through it, I think will help them, you know, at least have a little bit of a North Star as yeah. they go through their own process. So I appreciate that. 
Yeah, that was that was good. Yeah. So you were saying that. So you started with the novels, and then you got feedback that, oh man, I can't read three hundred pages. So is that what was that the incentive to then dive into the graphic novel um, area? It was the repeated asking for that let me know that there was a market. I was primarily going to comic book conventions, so it made sense, and that's really what worried me initially. I had never been to a convention. I had never tabled anywhere. And I was seeing all around me people selling something visual. And that's initially what made me buy the banners. I paid a couple artists to do these uh, like foam placards that stand up on the table of various characters from the books because those became talking pieces for me. So even if I wasn't comfortable giving my spiel yet, people would see interesting art and walk up and be like yo who's that character why he's got why does he have blue skin why does he have a trident he's got white locks his eyes are yellow what's up with this so that would give me an end to kind of vocalize who this was and give me an end to give them my spiel give them a bit of a synopsis of the story and where this character fits into it and if they got interested then i was able to seal the deal then and after a year, I didn't I'm like, I can't draw. That was my first initial kind of pushback on it. It was like, yo, can you illustrate this? I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm mainly a literary author. I can't draw a thing. I don't know what to tell you. But from 2017 to 2019, the two years straight of people constantly asking, put the light bulb in my head. It's like, yo, there's enough people now that have been repeatedly asking. I've come out here with two novels and now they're still, I was, the funny thing is I was still selling well with the novels, but there was still enough of a, a portion of the people passing by that would ask me for comic books or graphic novels. And I was like, well, it makes sense. I'm at Comic Con. So there are going to be a fair amount of people that are going to ask for this. There's enough of a market. It's probably worth me investing in making that happen because I'm pretty sure people will buy it. And it kind of widens my market share if you will because mm -hmm. now there's a wide, wider audience for me not only I can get both however you like it is the way we're going to give it to you you like the illustrated we have that if you want the literary we have that I'm currently recording the audio um, so it's just it, it became part it became a smart business move I think for me you got a couple of uh, yeah you keep leading with a couple of things I want to follow up on but uh, before we pivot to to what you just said there um, we do speak to, I've, I speak to quite a few writers and, you know, they, they talk about trying to find the artist. There's, there's lots of artists out there, but trying to find the right artist. If you yeah. can, I think at some point we will have Jordan on, we'll get a chance to speak to him. But, uh, if you could just tell, tell us about how you went about your process, how you met Jordan and, and how you guys connected a little bit. Yeah. Initially, uh, some of the art I was getting done, I found artists on Fiverr to do some and then one guy that I was working with kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, off the internet. So I was kind of stuck. And we had yeah. been going to smaller conventions. And actually, my wife was the one that found Jordan. We went to a small <laughs> Comic-Con convention in Howard County, Maryland, called uh, Galacticon, I believe. Um, it was on a fairgrounds. Big uh, cornbread-fed white dude walked up to me and said, hey, what's, what you doing here? And I was like, I'm here for the... <laughs> comic-con uh convention at the uh warehouse right there hmm i'm with the 4-h club and i judge horses i was like "Ooh, okay i don't know how this is gonna go <laughs> so i went into the warehouse uh it was not a very huge uh place in the middle of this like field like i said it's on the fairgrounds um and a couple rows down my wife said i found a young guy 
Um, I really like his art. I think he would be a match. You need to go check his art out. He had uh, some mashups of various characters. He had a, a, a 9 by 12 print of a Koye, but she had this bracelet and this like five-fingered ring, but the gems were of different colors. So it looked like she had her own like version of the Infinity Gauntlet. Infinity. Yeah. On. yeah. That was really cool. He had this mashup of Batman and Bat uh Batman and Black Panther. Uh, it was like the Bat Panther. So he had the the cowl and the ears that stood up, but then you saw the tooth necklace, but it was glowing purple. He had some really interesting mashups and he had some things that he had done with the Orishas himself before we even got started. He had his own version of the Orishas already there. Uh so I'm like, yo, I really like your art. Um, I'd like to talk to you possibly about adapting my novel into comics or graphic novels. And he was like, cool. And I, I pointed out about three or four prints that I liked. And I said, as a rule, I usually don't buy anything at a con before I make a table. I'm going to go back to my table and I'm going to sell and I'm going to come back and I want these three or four prints. And he was like, cool, cool. And a little bit later, he got up and came to the table. We, you know, he asked me about the synopsis and he bought the first book, went back to his table. And eventually I went back to his table and bought the prints that I wanted and got to meet his dad and everything. And about a week later, I think we met at a pizza place uh, over a beer to kind of discuss terms and what his page rates were and whatnot. And we got that settled. About a week after that, I drew up a contract for us to sign. We met together over handshakes, signed the contracts, and he began... Uh, illustrating the the book out into a graphic novel and then we then excellent yeah that was i think 2019 we started working on that and we ended up finishing in 2020 when we got hit with the pandemic yeah and everything kind of shut down so was he like uh, reading your novel and then like drafting it out or did he storyboard it i mean i'm just curious that's exactly what happened he actually i didn't write a script for the first two graphic novels he okay, read cool. the novel and then stitch the story together. I'm now in the process of learning how to script out so I can hand people just the scripts. And in fact, it changed the way I wrote this other series because of his feedback on how difficult it was because I write kind of cinematically. You, you, you know you know how books are and movies are. They give you, you get like a placard to tell the reader or the viewer where they're going. Hey, we're in LA. Hey, we're in Amsterdam. And you wanted to, but when you have a limited amount of pages, within like a comic or a graphic novel, you really need to stay with that group of character for a longer period of time to make the story more cohesive for the reader. So that's what he effectively did with the first four chapters of my first book, is he had to stitch the story together so we stay with this one group for say, 20 something pages, and then there's a break, and then he stays with the next group of characters for the next 20 something pages. Excellent. Yeah, so um, there's still, there's a couple of things I wanna, I wanna hit on. I'm running, running close on time, but okay. Um, I want you to talk about your two main projects, Ancient Illumination and the Naomi uh, Chronicles, uh, particularly since you got that Kickstarter going on. But before you do that, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned audio and you, you mentioned in one of your Kickstarters your, your vision of creating an animated series. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like for you to just, uh, just, if you can, just talk a little bit about your plans and vision as far as audio and animated series and, and how that's looking. And then we could talk about your Kickstarter projects. All of that correlates because it's an expansion into other mediums. That's always going to be my plan is, is I can widen my audience by expanding into other mediums. So animation, mainly because of what happened uh, 
with the, the the pandemic and everything, I figured if I go that route, it would be easier for, for us to implement if there's another shutdown, everybody can be at home working on their computers, we can get animation done, we can have stuff done in perhaps uh, Unreal Engine or another application that can give us kind of some good 3D and volumetric lighting and all that. So it looks really cool and it can be dynamic. Um, and the, as far as the audiobooks, I know it's another thing that people have been repeatedly asking for. So initially I was going to have somebody record it, um, but I've been actually going into the studio myself and recording. I think I'm up to like seven chapters of the first book. Uh, and it's 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 a financial thing. It's money. I'm I'm doing what I can afford to do. So currently, the 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 best thing for me to do is to get these comics done, because I can pay for them. It's a lot less expensive than paying for a full blown uh, thirty minute ad animation or even above beyond that, trying a live action film. So I'm taking things in stages where I can I can pay to produce a comic here. I'll use Kickstarter to kind of boost my expansion. That's why if you notice the title and it says issue two is because issue one is mainly already paid for. Uh, so I'm just, the re the raising of the funds is actually to continue. And we did the same thing with Ancient Illumination. We already had uh, the first graphic novel finished, done, printed, everything. But I wanted a way to boost my ability to get issue two done to kind of further give us momentum to ensure that we keep growing each yeah. year. Gotcha. Nice. Would could you just um let's focus on the the newer project that you got going on? You, you know, um just tell tell the audience a little bit more about what it's about and the characters you have involved and the journey that they might be going on. Yeah. Uh, since I love fantasy and everybody's so much in the uproar with characters of color, even if we get like two or three depicted in, say, Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, they're gonna be really mad if they get to this because pretty much all the characters are black. Um, <laughs> in Yambani. Yambani is a alternate dimension to my ancient illumination world, which is like an alternate history of this galaxy. So Yambani means home in Swahili, and it's my alternate dimension, the Orisha rule. I know you heard of Mount Olympus. Well, in this story, I've got something called a Zulu, I-Z-U-L-U, and it's like my Mount Olympus, but it is actually a spaceship, a huge city ship where the gods reside. And the thrusters of this ship actually act as the sun for Yambani. Oh, wow. um, and they, they, they stay there, they reside there in the beginning. Uh, the first issue of this comic, that's what we're raising the money for, but the novels are also there, um, is basically Oya and Shango are arguing over whose lightning is more powerful. And Olarun comes out, the sky god and creator is like, what are you two arguing about? And they tell him, so he just basically wants them to stop arguing. He says, give me one of your talent. Talent each, I will weigh them and decide which one of these two are more powerful. And, and so he gives them, they give them, give it to him. They go away. He just wanted them to stop arguing. He goes <laughs> down on the planet and there's a child being born at the time. So he makes himself invisible. He gives these talents of power and imbues them into the unborn child as he's being born. And then there's, that's why the first issue of the comic is called uh, genesis of a chaos master because we're wondering whether or not this child as he grows up will what's been put into him be too much for him and eventually destroy him or will he master these powers and become the chaos master of all these things that he'll be able to control and kind of manipulate and influence as he grows up um, there are different uh factions i have my version of the orcs which are a red-skinned group of people that believe in surat the blood god 
Um, they cut them, they cut themselves and kind of go into battle. They can only earn their name once they've scarred somebody and somebody has scarred them. And that's like their tribute to their god, Surat, which I took from the word serrated. Um, I have elves. I have elder dragons, which they, they the beginning of the book, they are awakened by a, a, a magus that kind of disturbs the world's magic and starts a sickness among the lands, basically corrupting the magic of the world. So there's all types of storylines within this fantasy world, you know, things that I that I thought were interesting and I liked, and I'm hoping to take people on a journey with these novels, and you can do it visually. Yeah. And the world you're building, like, how big is it? Is it like Game of Thrones big? Like, how, I mean, how ambitious is this world that you're building? Probably larger because there are other dimensions that come into play. Okay. Um, so you think of Game of Thrones, there's, there's a world and there's like a world map. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is not only that world, but you have ancient illumination, which is not a part of that world. It's another dimension. So what I may end up doing is there are currently three novels in ancient illumination. There's about to be two novels in the Ambani Chronicles. I may have four in each series for eight books total. And then the ninth as the end caps, this may be a multiverse clash where the kind of the veils between the universes are thinned and you start getting things that bleed into another causing all crazy conflicts and things of that nature. I didn't realize, but you said that this is an alternative universe to the ancient illumination. So yes. this is all part of the same kind of. They're, they're separate, but there is, they're, they're separate storylines. You don't have to read one to understand another, but there may be some crossover. Did the characters did genres. Crossover? Yes. And the characters cross over? Okay. All right. Yeah, we do have some characters that cross over, but I made it that way because I like science fiction and I like fantasy, and I wanted two different series within both of those genres and subgenres, and then I wanted the ability to play with it and kind of blend the two at some point. Yeah, um, maybe you could just take a one minute to describe a little bit about Ancient Illumination and, and that story, and then if you could give everybody listening uh, way where you know maybe your Kickstarter or how they can find out more about you. Yeah, ancient illumination is about beings of pure light that come to Earth during the days of Cro Magnon, and they want to teach us. One of them decides we're too dumb, and he starts experimenting on mankind, and that gets him in trouble with his own people. So as punishment, they exile him here on Earth, force him to teach mankind, and then just leave him here. And so he influences a bunch of different societies. He plays God to a myriad of people around the globe which is probably why religions are so similar because it's all the same person placating and play acting as different versions of himself. Uh, and then so we project like into that. the future where we've, we've left planet and that's, that's ancient illumination in a nutshell. And I think Jaffer was also asking like, you know, where people can find you, your projects, your socials. Currently right. Yeah. At Rod Van Blake on TikTok as well as Instagram at Kisan Ascari on Twitch and Twitter. Rod Van Blake on Facebook. And right now, the Yambani Chronicles, that's N-U-M-B-A-N-I Chronicles, issue two, we're on Kickstarter right now. And you can get, if you're interested more in the fantasy, we're trying to raise funds uh, for that, where we can get you both the books and the comic books, as well as if we reach 6,000. Uh, Jordan Pernell Jackson has his own comic book, Eve of Insurrection, if we get to six grand, this will be another uh, comic that will be given to everybody that pledges for physical rewards. So in addition, in addition to the Yambani Chronicles, you get a cyberpunk comic 
as well, but we have to get to goal. I think we're like halfway there right now. Cool, man. Yeah, you guys, are, you guys are halfway there. Um, one, one final question before you go, Rod. You know, um, you know, we all grew up uh, like in comics. I, you know, your journey into um, the fantasy world was a little bit different. But did you have a, a comic growing up that that was your, you know, your favorite go-to comic? Can you can is there one particular that you can think of? I liked them all. The thing uh, most recently, even when I was younger, that I I resonated with was uh, Green Lantern, but the John Stewart version. Um, <laughs> More and more, uh, I mean, I'm black. I'm a, I'm a Marine veteran, and then we have a Marine veteran ends up being a Green Lantern, basically the police, a space police force. Um, and he was a brother, so that that's kind of what resonated most with me, uh, more so than the others. Even though I did enjoy a lot of the other comics, Superman, Spider Man, and all that was cool. But when I when I last on the John Stewart, that was kind of the one that was resonated most with me. Yeah, man. I, I wanted to say, you know, I saw that you you went to the Marines enlisted, right? Yes, that's, that's that's the hard path, man. I mean, uh, I wanted to say thank you, thank you so much for your service. You know, as we just observe, you know, veteran stages past, but thank you so much for your service. Yeah, appreciate it, Rod. Man, this has been great. Uh, great to have you. I'm, I'm excited for your Kickstarter. I look forward to seeing you more more in the area since you're, you're local. So uh, keep up the good work. I'm def- I'm sure I'm gonna be seeing you around, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time. All right, everybody, that's our show. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at issues.on.issues, YouTube at issues on issues, and Twitter at comics underscore issues. We'd love to hear from you, so email us at comics at brilliance.io. Please like, share, and subscribe to our show to continue the conversation. This podcast was edited by Britt. Special thanks to him for putting this all together. <laughs>